Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name's Karen Milliken, and I'm here with my co-host, Nathan Wagner. Nathan, what were you doing today? We are talking to Dr. Greg Beal. We're talking to him about the temple, like temples in the ancient world, and what they signified and how they functioned. But specifically, we're going to talk about how the temple imagery in the biblical narrative is just pervasive throughout. It's actually going to be incredibly interesting. So amazing to see so many examples of this imagery throughout Scripture. Something that might be helpful, though, is a little bit of background reading, which we don't typically ask you to do, but it'll be like six chapters, so don't freak out. Nathan, what are a few passages that they should read? Well, Karen, so Dr. Beal has done a lot of work in Genesis 1 and 2, and then also Revelation 21 and 22. So the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. And he kind of talks a lot about creation, obviously in Genesis 1 and 2, but then recreation in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22. So would definitely encourage everybody to go read those two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, then Revelation 21 and 22. But also there's some Old Testament imagery that he references, and he probably references the most in Ezekiel chapter 36. So would encourage all you guys to go read that stuff before we launch into our conversation. It's going to be legit. It is legit. Some of y'all might initially be like, what in the world? But I would definitely encourage you to hang with us because I think you'll be really encouraged. You guys enjoy this episode. Today, we are super excited to have, not in the studio with us, but on the phone, <laughs> all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or the Philly area, Greg Beal, who is the J. Gresham-Macon Chair of New Testament and the Research Professor of New Testament and Biblical Interpretation at Westminster Theological Seminary. In case that title totally blew you away, just to talk a little bit about some of the work that he's done his academic career has really been focused in biblical theology and specifically about how the Old Testament is used in the New Testament. So how did the New Testament authors view and then use the Old Testament in their writings? He's also an expert on the book of Revelation, which is... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I know, right? Which a lot of people are like, what? <laughs> yeah, how do you become an expert in that? <laughs> so confusing. Um, but he's written what is, I think, widely regarded as the top commentary on the book of Revelation. And a lot of his work has really been about how the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2 that imagery plays out really throughout the biblical narrative to the new Eden we see in Revelation 21 and 22. So there's a lot of, a lot of I'm thinking like biblical meta narrative, like how do these themes drive the story of the Bible? And one more thought on this, just to show like his contribution to this field of study in 2013, he was presented with a festrift, which some of y'all are like, wait, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically a, it's typically a series of essays that are compiled into a book um, in honor of someone else's life work. Uh, he was presented that by a group of guys in 2013 that's called From Creation to New Creation. <laughs> and so we are pumped to have really one of the foremost experts on this on the call with us today. So Greg, welcome to the Equipping Podcast. Well, that was uh, quite an introduction. I'm uh, not going to be able to live up to it, I'm afraid. <laughs> the good news is you've already lived up to those things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
those things were not lies. You've yeah. already done all of that. <laughs> Maybe we could stop the interview and just tell everybody to read my books then. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so today we want to talk to you about one of your books that's uh, a contribution in the new studies in biblical theology series called The Temple and the Church's Mission. In regard to the temple and the church's mission, I mean, obviously the temple plays a central role in the biblical narrative, but a lot of times I think when people read the scriptures, they see this, you know, we we don't have temples around us today. A temple is not part of our typical vocabulary of a standard person. We, just, we don't just go around talking about temples. For a lot of people, I think they see this temple imagery and they're kind of like, hey, why is that so important? And so why don't we start the conversation by asking, how did you become interested in the temple as kind of a, an academic emphasis for you? And walk us through the history of how you've written so much on this. Well, first of all, it, the temple book titled The Temple and the Church's Mission really was an expansion of a two-page excursus of my commentary. If you haven't seen the book, I think yeah, it's about 400 a, pages. That's a heck it. of an expansion. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's literally true. It's after my section on chapter 21, 1 up through 22, 5, which presents the new heavens and earth as, well, it's a new creation. It's also a new Eden, a new city. It's also pictured as a temple, mm. all four of those things. So I began to ask, well, how did this come about? Uh, in, in the commentary itself, I began to decide that, well, whatever's happening here in Revelation 21 and the beginning of 22 has got to come out of the Old Testament because mm -hmm. it is absolutely riddled with Old Testament allusions mm -hmm. in every single verse, and especially the temple. I thought it was weird that the new heavens and earth would be pictured as a temple, because it's not just a temple, it's pictured as the Holy of Holies, Yeah, yeah. which is like a square box. Mm. So that's, it's very weird. It's like, uh, I don't know whoever is still familiar with Star Trek, but they had a, one of their shows was about the planet of the cyborgs. Mm. And it was just a square planet. It was all city. Yeah. And that's sort of the image that Revelation is giving. And so I thought, that's just weird. Yeah. But I said, you know, I know the way to understand this has got to be from the Old Testament. And there were a number of allusions back to Genesis 1 to 3. So I went back there. And what I found was that Adam was commissioned as a priest, mm -hmm. not just in a garden, but in a garden sanctuary or temple. And we can talk about why I decided that, but that's what I found and that Adam's role as a faithful priest was to expand the presence of God, uh, expand the perimeters, the boundaries of the temple until it covered the whole earth. Mm. So there, there it is right there. Finally, in Revelation, you get the goal of what Adam should have done. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I got interested in it. Uh, we could move back even further and say, why, why did I write a 1,200-page commentary in the book of Revelation? <laughs> I never had much interest in the book of Revelation. Yeah. In fact, I was, I was commissioned. It's in the New International Greek Testament Commentary Series published by Erdman's, and I was actually commissioned to do Second Peter and Jude, but the fellow who was supposed to write Revelation couldn't write it. So I got a call from the Erdman's editor and said, would you be willing to change to the book of Revelation? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, that's four chapters of Second Peter and Jude yeah. compared to 
22. So it was quite a decision to make. But I went ahead and made it because I had done my doctoral work on the use of the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. So that, that's a long answer to your question. But then, then when I began to do this work on the temple, it began to really mushroom in, in, into this large book. And in, in fact, it was so large that I and another student condensed it to a smaller book. Let me see how many pages is that? About 196 <laughs> pages. It's called God Dwells With Us, Expanding mm. Eden to the Ends of the Earth. So for your listeners, if they want an abbreviated form of the big book, it's in that book, God Dwells Among Us. Mm. Anyway, that's probably a longer answer than you wanted. No, it's, it's really interesting. Like any good scholar, you write two pages on something and think, huh, there's got to be more. Yeah. And all of a sudden, look at what we have, which is incredible. And we're really grateful for the work that you put into it. Yeah, for sure. I do commend the smaller work. It's it's funny, a lot of times in academic circles, you'll get the more robust treatment of something and then at a later time, kind of a condensation down to something that's more accessible for a lay reader. So, Greg, why don't you tell our audience the name of that condensed version one more time? Yeah, it's called God Dwells Among Us, Expanding Eden to the Ends of the Earth. It's IBP in America. And the reason that uh, we did it is because, and really it's just a summary of the book, but adding a, a lot more practical application. Yeah, that's good. We did it because there were a lot of people in a lot of churches who were interested in missions. Mm -hmm. And we felt it was really important to get the biblical concept of the temple from the Old Testament and, and then how that relates to the New Testament and Jesus and the church and really how that relates to mission. Hmm. We can talk a little more about that if you want. I think the mission arises right out of Genesis 1 to 3. Yeah, for sure. So why don't we jump in in this episode and talk about kind of a foundation to help our audience understand what temples were and what purpose they served in the ancient Near East. So there, I mean, there are a bunch of different cultures and subcultures and temples and belief systems that are arising out of the world of the Bible. But let's just kind of paint that picture of what, if we are, you know, Hebrews living in the second millennium BC, then what do temples look like? What purpose do they serve? What function do they have? Help us understand that. Well, so you had temples in Egypt and in Babylon and Assyria. And typically, the temple was where the God dwelt. And intriguingly, most temples in those areas had three parts, an outer courtyard, a holy place where the priests function in serving the God. And then there was a holy of holies where the God himself dwelt, where there was an image of the God in the holy of holies. And for example, in Egypt, the Pharaoh was considered to be the living image mm -hmm. of the sun god. So that's number one. And what's interesting about it is that just as Israel had three sections to their temple, outer courtyard, holy place, and, and holy of holies, it was the same in the ancient Near East. So the first thing that uh, strikes one is why is that? I mean, was Israel just borrowing from her ancient Near Eastern neighbors? Mm -hmm. Were they just sort of religious and architectural leeches, a part of their own socially constructed ancient Near Eastern uh, religious environment? My answer to that is 
it's very interesting that both Israel's temple and the ancient Near East temples had garden-like features. They had imagery of trees and flowers in the temple, and most of them in the outer court had a sort of a, a big place where water was stored that represented the seas. Uh, in Israel's case, underneath that water stand called the Brazen Sea, there was all kinds of uh, vegetation that was designed holding up that big water bowl. There are all kinds of garden-like symbols in both the Assyrian, Egyptian, and Israelite temples. There were some temples even had gardens in their courtyard mm -hmm. in Egypt, for example. And part of the priest's duty was to serve as a gardener. So to garden in these temples was priestly activity. Intriguingly, and I think that helps us with Adam that he's placed in the garden mm -hmm. yep. to till it and to to guard it, or just literally the word is serve and guard. So that would not be something unusual. And we can talk more about that language later and, and what it means. But the reason I bring out the garden-like imagery is because one has to ask why. That's kind of unusual. Mm -hmm. Have these architectural structures, all of them, uh, have garden-like features. My answer to that is that the reason they do is that they all go back to one original, very ancient source, an original garden. The Bible calls the Garden of Eden. Mm. The ancient Near Eastern temples, I think, maintain some sort of garbled common grace tradition yeah. that they reflected in the building of their temples. Mm. Israel's temple was built with what I'd call special revelatory information. Mm. What they're doing in resembling Eden is not garbled, but is pristine and true. And I think part of the reason for the building of the temples in, in a tripartite way was that Israel's temple was a kind of polemic against the ancient Near Eastern temples. In other words, see all those other temples of which Israelites would have been aware. Here's the true temple. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And here's the true God. There's no image in the Holy of Holies in Israel's temple. Mm -hmm. It's empty. And actually, Adam is placed in the midst of that temple as a priest and he is the living image of God. Mm -hmm. That's why there's no image in the Holy of Holies, because the priests representing the people were the living image of God, reflecting God and reflecting his, his invisible presence in the temple. And one other thing to mention here, the ancient Near Eastern temples and Israel's temple actually were designed also not only to reflect gardens, but to reflect the cosmos. And by that, I mean that there was imagery also of the world. For example, in Israel's temple, you have the Holy of Holies being completely empty. However, it's filled with the invisible presence of God. Now, the scripture tells us it's the footstool of God sitting in heaven. The picture is God sitting on his throne in heaven with his legs and feet extending down into the Holy of Holies, which is the place of God's special revelatory presence in all of the world. So the Holy of Holies represented the invisible dimension of the heaven. Then you go to the holy place, and in the holy place you, you find in the Solomonic temple lampstands with seven lights on them. In, in Solomon's case, there were ten. And so you got 70 lights in there. 
And the word for lights there is a word, a Hebrew word that is used really only in the Genesis 1 narrative for the minor and the major lights and the sun and the moon. And so I think those lights were intended to represent the starry heavens. And in fact, the curtains on the ceiling and around the holy place, the second section of the temple outside the Holy of Holies, were various colors that represented the sky, sort of a a blue and purple, various kind of colors that you might see at a sunset. And there were even birds woven into the the curtain. So the purpose of the holy place was really to represent the visible heavens. So I think it's important here to insert a little bit of like ancient Near Eastern worldview. So the ancient people would have understood the world in uh, various zones. You had the extraterrestrial zone, this, this zone above the heavens where the deity dwelled, right? And then underneath that zone, which was separated by a, in Hebrew, it's literally firmament or uh, some kind of barrier between the place where the deity lived and what we would call, like like you said, the seen world, the terrestrial zone, where the animals and humans and birds and sky and all this kind of things, like, so that would have been a zone. And then there would have been another zone underneath that zone, which was kind of like the place of the dead. And in these different zones, what you see, and actually Josephus talks about this in his work, is that really the temple is is designed to reflect, to be analogous to the actual cosmos, but just a combination of that zone where humans live being the holy place, and then that zone where the deity dwells being the holy of holies. And so there's very much like a, this massive cosmic significance to the actual temple. It's interesting too. So I'm a, I have boys and frankly too, I'm also a superhero fan. Took a weird turn. <laughs> and so when you watch the Thor movies, then you have the earth zone, the zone where the planet earth is. And then you also have the zone where Asgard is. Are you tracking with me, Karen? Not even a little. <laughs> That's awesome. If you're listening right now and really confused, I'm going to fix it in just one minute. <laughs> but one of the things, I, I think this is helpful because it's like there's this Asgard zone where Thor lives and his dad, Odin, and, you know, you have this whole Norse mythology. And then there's this whole other zone where the earth, where the humans are. And in order for Thor to get to the zone where the humans are, then you have to ride this portal. And it almost feels like, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but it almost feels like that the Holy of Holies is where that portal from the unseen realm lands on the actual earth. Like that's where the deities, like you said, feet come through and rest among his people. Is that a, is that a fair analogy or am I totally just crazy? Right. You know, just to complete for the hearer, what, what I was saying is that, that I didn't comment on the outer court. Now, the outer court represented, I mean, it was the holy place representing the starry heavens and the outer court representing where people live. Because any Israelite could go into the outer court Yeah, right. where the bronze sea was, represents the seas. And so I think that since normal people could be there, it represents where people dwelt. So you get both 
with Israel and the ancient Near Eastern temples, it symbolized the same. They symbolized the heavenly realm, the starry heavens that could be seen, and then the lower earthly realm. Now, it's very hard to do a systematic theology of the ancient Near East. <laughs> John Walton tries to do that in some of his works. He's a former colleague of mine at Wheaton College Graduate School, but but I think it's very hard to do. But I think at least that tripartite explanation of the temples reflecting the tripartite reality, the cosmos, probably is fairly common mm -hmm. in all of the temples. Mm. So really, the temple was a little microcosm of the larger macrocosm of, of the whole cosmos. Then you have to ask, was there any other purpose for that symbolism, especially for Israel? Are they just sort of borrowing from the ancient Near East, or is there something further? And we can talk about that, but I better stop. Okay, so let me... <laughs> I... Okay, so I'm going to attempt here. So everyone listening is probably like, what? So tell me if I'm right. Tell me if I'm tracking with you. So you open scripture, and we see God create the heavens and the earth. He creates this garden where his presence dwells. And so what I hear you saying is that Eden, in that sense, because it is the dwelling place of God, becomes what we would see as the first true temple. Adam then is the first true priest because he's the one required to oversee it, yeah. to garden. Yeah. And so that is the first temple and the first priest. We move forward and God... Let me stop you there. Adam's commission was to expand the presence right. of God from the garden to the whole earth. Yeah, make the temple bigger. So he fails. Yes. Okay. He failed big time. Big time. Fails miserably, <laughs> which I'm sure we will talk about more. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. we move forward, and I think for even a lot of listeners, it is really easy to read the Bible in isolation. And so even hearing like ancient Near Eastern context or all these other like it's easy to forget that all these other people were existing at the same time, worshiping idols and other gods in similar ways. And so there's these groups of people who are using similar imagery to Israel, which is a lot of what we see in the Garden of Eden. And so they begin to create temples to serve their little G gods. And so the one true God of Israel, Yahweh, rather than wiping out all of this imagery and starting over, he, being the God that we know him to be, reveals himself in a context that his people will understand. And so Israel is given divine revelation. They're given this language, this imagery, and a form that they would understand. And the Israelite temple, while similar to these other ancient Near Eastern temples, becomes a true temple to prove that their God, Yahweh, is the one true God. Yeah, with, with the really critical distinction that in the ancient Near East, the idol or the image of the deity was in their Holy of Holies. But in the Hebrew kind of structure of all of this, the Holy of Holies is basically empty. Right. So like the presence of God, instead of being kind of through the portal of the image in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God is in the Holy of Holies. The image of the deity is working the garden which is Adam. Right. I know that that may be confusing, but that's super important because instead of us having to go to the, the presence of the deity through some sort of other image, we are the image, which means like the presence of God is 
with us in the temple instead of through an image to somewhere else. Are you tracking with that? Yes. Okay. So then the temple's constructed in these three parts. There's this outer court, this holy place, and then this holy of holies, this really holy place. And that represents the entire cosmos. So the outer court is the earth. The holy place is the heavens that we can see. And the holy of holies is the heavens we cannot see, the very dwelling place of God. Am I understanding you correctly? Correct. I think the interview should now focus to you and not me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just want to make sure I'm tracking. I want to make sure other people are tracking. And so help us understand why this imagery is important. Well, the whole rest of the book, after I talk about Adam as a priest, Eden as a a temple, a garden temple, and how his commission was to spread it to the whole earth because you can't read Genesis 2 and 3 in isolation from Genesis 1. And in 128, we get the commission of Adam. And that is where it says he blessed them and told them to rule and subdue, increase and multiply and fill the whole earth. So that's his commission as a king. So we find in chapter two and that he is a priest as well. He's a king priest. And so his commission as a king priest is to fill the earth. According to Genesis 1.20, well, what is that? As well as ruling, subduing, et cetera. He should have subdued the serpent, by the way, which he did not do. So the expanding here and filling the earth How was he to fill it? Well, he was to fill it with his progeny, increase and multiply. And that progeny are image bearers too, like Adam and Eve were. And as he filled the earth with image bearers, image bearers are reflectors. So you're filling the earth with the presence of God through his progeny. And that's how it was to spread out. And if you want me to really cut to the chase, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is the true temple. We become the temple in him. And as people come to know the Lord through our witness, the temple begins to expand, more image bearers continue to increase, and the earth begins to be filled with the glory of God until that's completed. It'll never be perfectly completed, by the way, but the process will stop when Christ will complete it at the very end of time, when he'll destroy his present heavens and earth, create a new heavens and earth, the whole earth will then be filled with the presence of Christ, God, and the Spirit. So that's the book. Yeah, so if that's so central to, I mean, you just, you basically just told the whole story of the Bible. And if if that's so central to the biblical narrative, why do you think all of this kind of reading the narrative through the lens of the temple and what God is doing in regard to his presence, expanding Eden, reanimating images. Why do you think that that's so either not known or not just missed? It's just missed in the church today. I mean, I think probably a lot of our audience right now is going like, what? (laughs) And for good reason. I mean, a, a lot of people have never heard this before. What gives? Yeah. They're thinking like, yeah, I've heard of the temple. I read about that in scripture and then moved on. It, yeah. It's a piece that they read about in... And it's kind of a, let's be honest, it's kind of a weird piece. It's kind yeah. of like, okay, that was weird. Yeah, why do they give so many instructions to build this building? Yeah. When God doesn't even need a temple. Yeah, right. So yeah, what's up with that, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> Help us. Well, the whole point, 
was that uh, God's presence was to break out of Eden and cover the whole earth. There are a number of things here that you've asked, but I think a lot of people don't see a lot of significance to the temple because it just like looks like some architectural thing that was unique to Israel. Now we're going to move on, and uh, we're living in a new age now, and it's not an age where we worship in architectural temples. But in fact, Jesus and Paul himself, Second Corinthians 6 says, we are a temple of the living God. The point of the temple was the living presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And so the reason that you have, and I think this is where people don't get the significance of temples for the whole Bible on into the New Testament, the reason Israel's temple was actually a model of the cosmos, tripartite cosmos, invisible heaven, visible heavens, and the earth, is that eventually God was to break out of the Holy of Holies, Mm -hmm. and his presence would cover the whole earth. Now, very interesting, I think part of the meaning of the tearing of the temple curtain is that God's beginning to break out. John 1 says that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That word is a temple word, tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. Mm. So uh, that's all temple language. As Jesus comes, he is the inbreaking temple of God's presence. Then he's killed, but you can't keep a good temple man down. He just (laughs) resurrected and becomes a continuation of that new temple, and we become part of it. So the whole point of this is that of the old temple uh, reflecting the cosmos is that God eventually is going to break out of the invisible dimension and cover the visible starry dimension and the earth. Hmm. He was going to cover the whole thing so that everything would become temple. Yeah. And that's what you find in Revelation 21.1 to 22.5. Yeah. Finally, that purpose has been fulfilled. Now, we can talk about some of the practical application of that, but in terms of why people might not be getting uh, how the temple is so relevant throughout the whole old and especially in the new. I think part of it is they don't see that cosmic symbolism of the temple. Secondly, people tend to read the Bible, and I think this is getting better in the church, but still people tend to read the Bible, Old, New Testament. They even read Old Testament books separately from other Old Testament books. Hmm. But once you begin, and what I I did in the temple book was I said, okay, you know, Genesis 1 to 2, and three is really important. We should expect to find allusions to this throughout the whole Old Testament. And in fact, we did. We find allusions to Genesis 2, for example, many allusions to Genesis 1.28 and the commission. And in fact, even at Wheaton College Graduate School, two students did dissertations on the use of Genesis 1.28 in different parts of the Bible. And you could do many more dissertations on how it's used. But my point in this is that Parts of the Bible refer back to Eden and refer to it as a temple. For example, in Ezekiel 28, it refers to Adam dwelling in the sanctuaries of Eden. So I think there are two reasons people don't pick up on the relevance of the temple. One, it reflects the cosmos that God eventually, the goal was to fill it all. And so when an Israelite looked at the temple, especially if they had insight, 
And I think a lot didn't. But if they did, they'd say, you know, God's dwelling in the Holy of Holies. There's going to come a time when he's going to fill the whole story heaven and the whole earth. Mm -hmm. And you find that fulfilled in Revelation. The other reason people don't pick up on the relevance of the temple is they don't pick up on how the temple is referred to throughout the Old Testament and how the temples developed throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. How much of this would have just been part of the culture script of the ancient Hebrews? I mean, would they have, because you find it throughout the Old Testament, would contemporaries of those authors have just understood what they were talking about, given the environment they lived in? I think, as, as I said, it's really hard to say how much understanding an audience would have had when an Old Testament writer was writing. Yeah. That's very difficult to know. Mm-hmm. All you can try to do is say, okay, what does it look like the biblical author intended? Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I mentioned allusions later in the Old Testament is because I think we can say that the prophet Ezekiel understood that Eden was a temple. So by letting Scripture interpret Scripture, you can begin to see at certain points, yeah, they did understand these things. And Ezekiel, I think, is is one example. He, he refers to Eden as the sanctuaries of God. But sometimes it's hard to know yeah. what the readers or the hearers or the audience would have understood. Yeah. I think it's just curious because Ezekiel and others are writing with this stuff woven into what they're saying, and they're not even trying to give an explanation for why. I think that's the curious thing for me, where I'm like, huh, if they're making allusions to something over and over again, then I think on some level, I think we can fairly assume that people would not have been totally lost. Maybe, uh, maybe to some degree. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I mean, Psalm seventy-eight sixty-nine says, God built the sanctuary like the heavens. Mm-hmm. He built it like the earth, which he's founded forever. So I, I think the psalmist understood the cosmic symbolism of the temple. So you can, you know, go throughout at various points. Again, how much the common Israelite would have understood, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, especially once you consider that the majority of each Israelite generation throughout Israel's generations, the majority of them were hardened. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was only a remnant faithful. Um, and even at times, the remnant faithful were anesthetized the idolatry of the majority. See, doesn't that help that Israelites might have been as lost as we are? (laughs) No, it is helpful to think about and to know that even when you get to the New Testament, thinking of those readers or the people who are just within a century after the death and resurrection of Christ, they would probably have a little bit more context because they would have been around these temples a little bit more. They would have heard stories or when Jesus is talking about people becoming the temple, they would have a little bit more context possibly than Yeah, there's clearly an under, a foundational understanding that the authors are pointing to. Right. And so if you're out there listening thinking, gosh, I've totally missed it, then like, that's why we're here. We're here to tell you like, hey, there's imagery of Eden and the garden and the temple relating to God's presence throughout all of scripture. And so if you've listened to this podcast and you're lost, just to hang on to that, that there is garden imagery and that there is temple imagery throughout the Bible. And so start looking for it because you will find it there. Well, this is uh, why I, uh, when I concluded in my Revelation commentary that 
the last vision of the book of Revelation was really the whole cosmos being a temple. I had no clue. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So when you tell the readers that, you're telling me that too, because that yeah. was my view. I, I was clueless. Yeah. So I said, hey, I got to get a clue here. So yeah. I started going back. and. But you had the time and expertise to actually like chase that down and find an answer, which is what everybody benefits from right yeah. now. And we're grateful. Well done. <laughs> so, yeah, if this is curious to you, if you're if this has sparked an interest, like, huh, I wonder, Greg's done some summary stuff, which has been really helpful. But next episode, we're actually going to walk through and talk more specifically about how temple imagery shows up throughout the biblical narrative. So stick with us. Tune in next week for the next episode, and we'll continue to talk temple and the Bible. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Catch us next week. Share it. Comment on it. Like it. All that jazz. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Peace.